I was honored when Pastor Jeff asked me to speak today, and I'll be honest with you or candid with you. I've been trying not to say honest because I always want to be honest, so I'll be candid with you. I've had several people ask me, you know, are you excited about today? And excited just wasn't the word. Um, I will do my best to share with you something that is very deep in my heart. Uh, I will try my best at times not to cry. Uh, I tend to be an emotional person, Gary. You know what that's about? Huh? <laughs> it's all right. But I tend to be emotional sometimes when things touch my heart very deeply. And so I kept trying to characterize how I felt about sharing this topic with you this morning. And in some respects, the word that kept coming to my mind was unsettled. I just felt unsettled about things. It's not that I'm not confident in what I want to share with you. It's that sometimes as speakers, you wonder how will it be received? Will people understand your heart? Will they know what you're trying to communicate? Will they, and it's not really about me and what I'm trying to communicate. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to communicate to you God's word and what God has to say. And so much of what I'm going to share with you this morning, and I, I pray that I can do it in 36 minutes, okay? Um, it is inspired from a book other than the Bible, obviously, that I've read called Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. It's some 400-page book, 430 pages. And it's written by an author that I follow quite a bit and that I read his blog and I listen to his podcast by the name of Frank Viola. If you've listened to me any at all, you know I've mentioned his name many times. So what I'm going to share with you today is um, inspired from this book and what Frank is teaching at this time about the kingdom of God. And I entitled the message, Stop Waiting. I grew up in an era many of you did too, where that we were looking and waiting to go to heaven. Let's get out of this world. It's such a mess so we can get to heaven and we can enjoy the wonderful streets of gold and the jasper walls and the gates and all that wonderful mansion that we're going to have in heaven. We got saved because it was our get-out-of-hell-free card. And we're waiting for heaven. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We cannot capsulize God's Word into June the 7th, 2020, America, Oklahoma, Choctaw, Bethel Church. You cannot capsulize God's word into this very moment. There have been people for millennia that have been waiting. I'm saying stop waiting. Jesus is telling you stop waiting. 
I am going to hopefully reveal to you God's plan. <laughs> That's a big order. But God's eternal purpose for his kingdom, not heaven, but his kingdom. Jesus was talking to a group of Pharisees in Luke chapter 17 and verse 20, verse 21, he says this, or the, the scripture reads this. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. In other words, you're not going to see these cosmic wonders in the heavens and all this wild things where that the kingdom, this is, oh, this has to be the kingdom of God. Uh, it's going to happen because we see this happening. There's a, a solar eclipse. And so that must be the kingdom of God's coming. He says, it's not coming that way. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, the King James Version says, is within you. Now, he's talking to a group of Pharisees who didn't believe him. They were not believers. Why would he tell them that the, the kingdom of God is inside of you? No, the kingdom of God is in us. And he's saying that the kingdom of God is in your midst. That's a better translation. Or it is near, it is among you. Jesus felt that the kingdom of God was extremely important. He began and he ended his ministry teaching about the kingdom of God. In Mark 1, 14 and 15, he says, this is after John the Baptist was, was imprisoned. Um, he says, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. He didn't come into Galilee preaching politics. He didn't come into there preaching any other thing about the systems of the world and the ways of the world. He came into Galilee preaching the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. That's, the, that's his first Right out of the gate, this is what he's teaching. Then he spends his three years of ministry teaching this. And then after he's crucified and he's resurrected and he, he is seen by uh, many on the day, uh, in Acts that talks about this. It says in Acts chapter one, verse three, to whom he had showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible truths, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the current political situation in Jerusalem. Is that what it says? No, speaking to them concerning the things that pertain to the kingdom of God. There are 146 references in the New Testament to this phrase, kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Now, Matthew, in his terminology and how he uh, wrote things, he, he often used uh, the, the, the phrase kingdom of heaven. But he also used the phrase kingdom of God. 
He's the only gospel writer to include that phrase, kingdom of heaven. The phrase kingdom of God is used 65 times in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, their central message of Jesus was the kingdom of God. John, not so much, even though he talked about it a couple times, primarily when he was dealing with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Uh, John didn't use that phrase a lot. His, his focus was more the life of God, the life of Christ. So is there a difference between kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God? Essentially, they are the same things. The kingdom of heaven focuses on the origin of this new nation. The kingdom of heaven focuses on the origin of this new kingdom. And it is of a heavenly realm. It is not of the earthly realm. We have to understand that. We are citizens of heaven, even though we may live here on earth. The kingdom of God focuses on the person who is ruler of the kingdom, God himself. Both terms refer to the same thing. The kingdom of God is the rule of heaven that has come to earth. And that's why when the disciples asked Jesus, they said, teach us to pray. Jesus said, part of his prayer was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, don't ask me to define this kingdom. I don't know that I can. The Bible never really defines it. It, it does, though, give us some illustrations. You will repeatedly see the phrase, Jesus will use this phrase, the kingdom of God is like. And then he'll go on and tell a parable. So, I want to focus on that for a little bit, what the kingdom of God is like. I am not going to go to all of these references. If you want to write them down, you can. If you want to look them up, you can. I'll throw them out there. Uh, but there's too many of them to read and, and really get through this. But in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 and 32, Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Now, I'm a, I'm a gardener. I love planting stuff. I understand that the mustard seed is the smallest of seeds. It's just tiny. But yet it can grow into a very large plant. It's not a tree, but it's a, a fairly large plant. From the study I did, it was anywhere from 10 feet to uh, 12 feet. You see, the size does not limit the potential power. This tiny seed grows into it. He said, it's like, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The largest of garden plants comes from the lowest of seeds. The kingdom comes from God's rule through faith, through the faith of those who were once insignificant, who were once weak and unclean. And we're going to see here in a little bit how that God tells the Pharisees and the chief priests he said, listen, the kingdom is taken from you and it is given to those who will bear the fruit of it. The insignificant, the ones that you look down on, the ones that you put thumb your nose to, the ones that you think are insignificant, marginalized, and not important. 
He said, the kingdom of God's going to be given to them because you have ignored it. The kingdom comes from small beginnings, one person, and that is Jesus Christ, who is God in human form. Birds, they say, make their nests, Jesus alluded to this, in the branches of the mustard tree or plant. The kingdom of God offers protection for those who enter it. I love to watch birds, and people ask me, how do you get so many birds to your house? I said, well, you got to have food. You have to have some shelter for them, protection, and some water. Three pretty basic needs for you, too, and I. Uh, you and me, we, we need those three things. And so they need shelter, and it's that shelter that offers them protection. The kingdom of God was beginning with Christ, and it continues with what the Bible terms the ecclesia. That is the Greek word for church. And it's not talking about this building. This building is insignificant. It is the people, the community of believers, the ecclesia, the group of people who come together, worship God, do good things, help other people. That is what the kingdom of God is about. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. Just as Israel was to show the world what it is like or what it would be like to have God as king, the ecclesia, the church, the community of believers is here today to manifest the kingdom of God. We're to do that in the earth so that Jesus will be the God of both heaven and earth in some concrete and visible ways. You know, the point of that parable of mustard seed seems to be that while the kingdom of God may appear to have insignificant and unnoticeable beings, beginnings, I mean, uh, the ministry of Jesus, very lowly, his upbringing, it will someday, when Christ returns, and establishes his kingdom here in its fullness, in its completeness, it will be great and, and very expansive. The kingdom, however, is not to be equated with the church, but rather the, the church, the ecclesia, is an expression of the kingdom. So what the kingdom is about, that is what we are about. He goes on, he says, it's like uh, in another passage of scripture, Matthew 13, 33, he says, the kingdom of God is like leaven. Ladies, who knows what leaven is? It's yeast, okay? It's yeast. A little yeast will affect the whole dough. It does not take an overwhelming amount to have an effect. And it spreads. The yeast spreads throughout the whole. And it works from within. The kingdom of God will one day permeate completely this world. It's working, it's growing. The kingdom of God was beginning with Christ and it continues to grow in the ecclesia, the church. He said it's like a man casting seed on the soil. Uh, that reference was Mark 4, 26. He said it's like a man casting seed on a soil. You know, like I said, I plant seeds all the time. I don't, I, I'm not a scientist. 
I don't necessarily understand how that seed sprouts and grows. But my lack of understanding is not going to keep it from growing. It's going to sprout. It's going to grow. Just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. A crop will be produced. The kingdom of God will come to fruition. We cannot stop it. However, we can enhance it. We can help it by doing our part. Just like I can help the little plants by keeping the bugs off of them, watering them, keeping the weeds away from them, fertilizing them. This parable is only found in Mark. And it presents this complete picture of the, grow, of the coming, growing and coming kingdom of God, that of sowing and of growth and of harvest. It goes on, he says, it's like a treasure in Matthew 13, 44. It's like a treasure that a man finds hidden in a field. He sees the value of the treasure. He sells everything that he has. Why? So he can go buy the field because he knows if I buy the field, I get the treasure. It's mine. The kingdom of God has great value. And we recognize it. And when we recognize it, we will want it. There should be nothing that we would not sell to possess the treasure of the kingdom of God. So it's like a merchant finding fine, seeking fine pearls. I'm going to move on. It's like a dragnet cast into the sea, gathering fish of every kind. Matthew 13, 47 and 48. The kingdom of God is like a dragnet that is cast into the sea and gathers fish of every kind. The kingdom of God is not limited to just a certain type of person. It is not limited to a certain nation of people. It is for everyone. No one, no one, no one is excluded. When he casts the net, the kingdom of God is like casting the net and you drag it in and you get all kinds of fish. All people are welcome into the kingdom of God. I know that, that many of you grew up singing in the booster band at church. And you sang the song, Barbara, red and yellow, black and white. <laughs> they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Stop categorizing. He loves everyone. He made everyone the way they are. If we believe God made everything, he made everyone the way they are. He said it's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now this one is in Matthew 20. And, you know, everyone is welcome to become a part of the kingdom of God. Uh, no one is excluded. And just because you are the first in your family to join does not mean that you are better than the last to join. Now, a lot of people who were the first of this landowner uh, who, who came in and worked for him, they got upset. 
He called them early in the day. They came out and worked all day, eight, nine, 10, 12 hours, whatever it was. Some, some came in late in the, or mid-afternoon, late morning, mid-afternoon. Some came late afternoon. Worked only two or three hours. They all got paid the same. Boy, does that go against everything that we believe? I'm serious. Why? Why? I've worked for you for 10 hours. This guy comes in, he works two hours. I'm surely going to get more money than him. No. Just because God has blessed America, hired us first, it doesn't mean that we are better than those who came in last. It doesn't. He says it can be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast. And I appreciate so much your question. Right in line with what I was speaking about today. And I, I hope that my answer, she asked a question in our Bethel group. We have a, a, a private Bethel group that uh, you're all welcome to be a part of on Facebook. And she asked a question, a very poignant, excellent question. And I, I gave you an answer. I hope it was adequate. I'm going to try to expand on that today. It can be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Matthew 22. The invited guests are told to come. Everything is ready. What did Jesus say? He said, it's all fulfilled. It's all ready. So the kingdom of God is ready. The wedding feast is ready. Now for the invited guests to come. Unfortunately, the king's invitation is ignored. No one comes. Because the original invitees was the, it was the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel ignored Christ. They didn't accept the wedding invitation. They rejected the invitation. So then the king says, okay, they've rejected me. Now I want you to go out and invite as many as you find. Those that Israel thought were the lowlifes and the dregs of society. You go get them. You go wherever you have to go and you find them and you invite them to the wedding feast. And in my explanation to, to Anne, uh, I said, you know, sometimes we have to go back a little bit to see some context and understanding. And when we go back to Matthew, uh, that, that particular parable about the, the kingdom of God is like a king who invited uh, people to his wedding feast uh, is in Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Well, in Matthew 21, 33 through 46, we see that Jesus tells the same people, chief priests and the Pharisees, he says that, uh, that he tells them this parable of the wicked farmer or vine growers. And, and you, you know it from the, the man lent out his farm to somebody and he, they were supposed to take care of it. And then he's going to come back and receive the fruit from it. 
Well, when, when they got word he was coming back, or from the slaves, there was some servants that said the master's coming back. Well, they, the vine growers killed those people. So this time, uh, or killed one, wounded one, stoned another. The owner of the vineyard sent more, and they killed them. And so then the third time he sent his son. The owner of the vineyard, God, sent his son, Jesus, and they killed him. And said, we'll get everything that's the inheritance. But here is the watershed verse of this parable. Matthew 21, verse 43. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, a nation. I think the King James Version uses nation. A nation producing the fruit of it. And the Pharisees immediately, the next verse, or the two verses down, they said, He's talking about us. He's talking about us. You see, there is a fruit that is produced or that the kingdom of God produces. The kingdom of God, so, so those, that's what it's like. So just a one sentence. Uh, this comes from, uh, from the book, Frank Viola. He, he defines it. He says this, he says, the kingdom of God is the manifestation of God's ruling presence. It is the manifestation of God's ruling presence. And I believe before we can go any further in this, and I am not going to finish by 1130. So I don't know. I'll deal with Jeff next week, Pastor Jeff about that next week. Um, I believe before we can go forward, we have to understand the past. We must look at God's plan and God's eternal purpose. God, if I were to ask you, is God the creator of all things? You know, a hundred and something hands to go up this morning. He's the creator of all things. He is the creator of things in heaven and the things on the earth. Before time... God created the heavenly realm. And he populated the heavenly realm with angels and various celestial beings. And they stood and they ministered in the presence of God. Luke 1.19 says, The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Matthew 10.18 See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Revelation 8, 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. God rules the heavens, and he is king of that realm, or king of the kingdom of heaven. Since all of God's creation are free will beings, including the angels, including you and I, God allows them to act of their own volition. One of these angels, we'll call him Lucifer, because that's his name. He decides to revolt against God. And as a result, what does God do? He casts him out of his presence. 
He casts him out and Lucifer is exiled from the heavenly realm. You can call him Lucifer, Satan, uh, the devil, the deceiver, the thief, or my former pastor, Brother Bromley, liked to call him Slewfoot. Okay, so <laughs> they're all the same being. So God has cast him out because he, he rebelled against God. And then God creates earth and he populates earth with, with his ultimate creation, human beings. And he places them in this special place that's called the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve live in God's presence, in the Garden of Eden, where God dwells and desires for his people to dwell. And they are given a charge to rule the earth from Eden. Rule the earth from the presence of God. You know the story. Adam and Eve followed the same path as Lucifer and rebelled against God through an act of disobedience. What does God do? He exiles them from Eden. He casts them outside of his presence. And he posts sentries there. You cannot come back in to my presence. Now Satan begins ruling the earth instead of the humans. God wants to restore the earth back to humans. So he, he does something else. He chooses a man by the name of Abraham. And he says his descendants, Israel, were to now be given the land of Canaan. Canaan is to be the new Eden. It is going to be the place where God's presence dwells. And Israel was to show the world what it looks like when God is in charge and is Lord and King. Unfortunately, you know the story. Israel went the same path as Adam and Eve and Lucifer. They rebelled against God. And as a result, what happens? They are exiled from Canaan. They are exiled from God's presence. They are removed from the presence of God just like the first angels and the first humans. But God's plan wasn't finished. He, will, he still wanted to bring his kingdom to earth, and he did that in Jesus Christ. And it is time that we stop waiting for that to happen. It's time for us to stop waiting to get to heaven and get out of this mess. It, the time is fulfilled. Mark 1, 14, 15. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The NIV says 
the time has come. When Jesus is speaking, then he's saying, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news. In Jesus, everything is fulfilled. He is the new Adam. The Bible calls him the second Adam. He's the new Adam. Where the first Adam failed through rebellion and disobedience, Jesus defeated the tempter in the wilderness. Jesus is the new Israel. Whereas the first Israel failed, Jesus did not. Just as Israel came out of Egypt, Jesus came out of Egypt when he was a child. Just as Israel was 40 years in the wilderness, Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness desert being tempted. How many disciples did Jesus choose? 12? What does that sound like? It corresponds with the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is the new Israel. It's not popular to say, but he is the new Israel. Christians should, should not become a reflection of the nation that they are in, that they live in. They should not become the reflection of the political party that they vote for. They should not become a reflection of the world system that the world will try to cram down your throat and say, this is how you should be as a Christian. Okay? We're not the reflection of this world, folks. We are the reflection of God's kingdom. We should reflect God's kingdom into our nation. We should reflect God's kingdom into our occupation. We should reflect God's kingdom into our political whatever, party activities. We should reflect God's kingdom into this world that we live in. Now, the world is in the dark. The world is in the dark. So if we're listening to the world, we're in the dark. We're listening to people who, who are in the dark. The world is in the dark. We must reflect the light of the kingdom of God into the darkness. Okay? This is where I'm out of time. Let me see. Hold on a second here. I'm on page 13 of 20. Um, I want to respect what, what, uh, what we want to do here and, and finish at 1130. But I, I will talk with Pastor Jeff about maybe next week finishing this up. Um, let, me, let me just end this for today with this. I had, as I said, this has been a very, diff, or not difficult, but it's been, it's been, I've been unsettled about this. And uh, I have, I'm like Pastor Temple in that should need be, I can pull out one of hundreds of lessons or messages. <laughs> okay, I've got them, 
all. You know, um, I have one called Christ Greater Me Less. And, and, and I, I wanted to say this about when John wrote those words in John 3.30, he said that Christ could become greater and that greater and greater and that I could become less and less. He was not saying that somehow Jesus wasn't great enough. Jesus is the son of God. <laughs> okay, Jesus is God. That's great enough. But what he was saying was that um, Christ must occupy a greater and greater place in John's heart. And I think that that's for us. Christ must occupy a greater and greater place in our heart. Similarly, we do not make Jesus Lord. We like to ask that question, have you made Jesus your Lord? Well, Jesus is Lord. Uh, God made him that. And Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the question is not, is Jesus Lord of your life? He's Lord. He's Lord of everything. The question is, and we'll talk about this next week if Pastor Jeff gives me a chance. If not, we'll do something else. Or you can, you can mull on this question. Are you submitting to his lordship? Jesus is Lord, but are you submitting to his lordship? And uh, hopefully next week, I can uh, talk more about that. So, would you stand with me this morning? Um, my prayer and desire is for you to know my heart. Um, I come to you humbly. I come to you not knowing all the answers. I am living this, learning this and living this out myself. The day I know all the answers, I just will quit because I don't know. I have people ask me questions and I try my best, and like Ann did, to give some answer. But if I don't know, I don't know. It, we have to stop waiting for the kingdom to come. We have to stop waiting for heaven. I love the hymn book. The old hymns, I love them. But they're sung out of a desperation that says, oh, this old world is so terrible. I just want to go to heaven. When God's saying, oh, this world is so terrible, I want you to bring heaven to it. Amen. So let's pray and ask God to help us to understand better. Father, we love you.